Beamer Tire and Auto Repair, now with three locations across the triad in High Point, Greensboro, and our new location in Kernersville. Beamer Tire and Auto offers full-service auto repair, all tire brands, free alignment checks, oil changes, and more. In Kernersville, check out the no-appointment-needed Quick Lube Shop. Check out their thousands of five-star ratings via Google and Yelp. They care because they know that you can go anywhere. So try a shop with a beating heart, not a bottom line. Beamer Tire and Auto Repair. Visit us on Facebook or at BeamerTire.com. In professional sports, a franchise player is an athlete who is not simply the best player on their team, but one that the team can build their franchise around for the foreseeable future. Welcome back to a brand new edition of Franchise Players here on TobaccoRoadSportsRadio.com. Make sure you stick around with us for the rest of the evening. We got two huge high school football matchups coming up uh, here tonight, starting at 7 p.m. Myself, Rod Funderburk, will be on the call. One of the biggest rivalries in the state is going to have state implications. East Forsyth hosting Glenn, uh, two schools that do not like each other. Uh, the Battle of the K-Vegas Cup, that's going to kick off at 7 p.m. tonight. You can hear it on the radio at WTOB, 980 AM, 96.7 FM. Um, over uh, on WCOG in Guilford County, another huge rivalry, probably the, one of the biggest in the state as well, Page and Grimsley getting after it. That's a kickoff at 7.30. Ryan Stone, J.P. Mundy will be on the call with pregame at 7 o'clock. You can hear that on WCOG, 13.20 a.m. in Guilford, or you can just stream them off your hip at TobaccoRoadSportsRadio.com. Got Hot Rod Funderburk and Jalen Gilkey in the house here with me doing a little NFL blitz. Um, actually, you know what? Let's 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 save NFL blitz, and let's go to N- NBA. I've been waiting to talk a little basketball let's do it. for a while now. Yeah, man. Let's, I, I actually – my whole week's been messed up because I stayed up Wednesday night watching that Lakers game that didn't go off to like yeah. 31 o'clock or something. And I'm like, yeah, like, why have I been so tired? That's why. Because <laughs> I watched that Laker game uh, that they lost somehow to a Golden State team that almost felt like a G League team to me with Steph Curry on it. And they just, it was just a bunch of dudes I didn't really know. Um, but they 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 beat the, the, the older, more experienced Lakers. Uh, what did you guys think about Russell Westbrook? Because he did not have a good game. He looked like uh, a piece of a puzzle that did not fit. Does he have to completely change his game to fit in with his Laker team? Uh, I don't say I, I don't think he has to completely change his game to fit in with his Lakers team. I know LeBron usually likes to be surrounded by shooters, and that's not really a criteria that Russell is going to fit into. But I do yeah, believe, really <laughs> right, 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 right. But I do believe that. I mean they will be able to make it work. I mean, because it's just great players and great basketball minds coming together. I think he probably had to get more minutes with the second team than he will with the starters for it to yeah. be successful. I'm not saying he's going to have to come off the bench, but he's going to be the primary ball handler, dominant guard on the ball with that second unit to lead them and be able to kind of have a similar role as the, he's accustomed to having. Rod, your thoughts on Westbrook uh, fitting into this this new big three that they've created in Los Angeles with him, Anthony Davis, and LeBron. Anthony Davis looked fantastic, by the way. He looked healthy for the first time in a couple of years. Actually, LeBron. I'm gonna say my thoughts about LeBron for just a second, but I have some thoughts on LeBron from opening night too. But uh, I thought LeBron. Your thoughts on Westbrook good. joining the squad? Okay, yeah, I thought LeBron looked pretty good. Ninety-eight Jordan. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, oh wow, looked, ninety-eight. He looked, he looked like he looked ninety-eight good. Jordan to me. Like he really Dude, did. He looked yeah. great. Yeah. LeBron he looked, looked in control. Great, man. 
you know, you know, like when a player Steph does this a lot when he knows the shots going in, he starts running back up the court before it's even like mm-hmm. gotten near the rim. LeBron yep. was on that tip Wednesday, like on some of them shots. Yes, like he, he was. just he looked like and, and like I just finished rewatching the last dance. So it's like fresh in my mind. But like 98 Jordan, it was like the 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 pinnacle of Jordan figuring out how to play basketball without having to really play basketball. Like it was all mental for him. He knew where to go. LeBron even got that little turnaround jumper thing going on that Jordan had in 98, like that little fadeaway that he would do that just couldn't block. LeBron's mm-hmm. doing that now. Like he, he looked good, man. I ain't gonna lie. And this is the one episode that, uh, that Brandon had to miss where we actually shower and praise <laughs> LeBron James. <laughs> and we both like LeBron. That's the crazy thing about it. We, I mean, I'm a huge LeBron fan. Oh, but, I am uh, too. You know, like I, he's great, but I, I'm I'm not gonna call him the ghost. You know, like he he's I can't do that yet. It's just not there. But uh, I think Shaq made a comment: if he passes Kareem for all time in points, then it's gonna be really hard not to give it to him. Do y'all think that's true or false? Very true, because just the fact that that is the ultimate record to have. That's the ultimate individual record that you could have in the sport, in pretty much any sport. The all-time leading scorer, no matter what you're playing, you got to score to win. So yeah, I mean it's going to, it's going to take twenty two seasons to get there though I believe if I'm not I mean mistaken. I'm pretty sure it took Kareem twenty seasons at it least so, I mean yeah yeah it took him twenty <laughs> if, if, if to be I mean to be the greatest of all the greatest scorer of all time and the leading scorer in the history of the National Basketball Association is I mean if you put that on LeBron's resume that's tough to get past because not only does he have that under his belt but he's also possibly one of the greatest passers of all time and one of the greatest basketball minds of all time. He might not be the greatest champion, but I mean, he's checking a lot of other boxes and then for him to be the all-time leading scorer when that's not really his thing. So he say, that's, that's a big box to leave unchecked, not the want the greatest champion. <laughs> I mean, we're talking about goat. Like I kind of think, I mean, but I mean, but I mean, Bill Russell's the great, Bill Russell's the greatest champion of all time. So, I mean, and that, and that alone, I think, is the reason why he's considered, you know, top 10. No matter what list you see, Bill Russell's going to pop up in there. His name Has is on the, the finals MVP trophy. You know, like exactly. he, he, he got that. He earned that. Um, with LeBron and, and MJ, I always look at it like this. If I was picking a pickup game, which one would I rather have? Pete MJ. Jordan or Pete LeBron? MJ. So every that, time. until that changes, I can't give I can't give LeBron the GOAT category because, like, whatever LeBron can do, Jordan can do, too. I mean, I can't think of something that LeBron can do that Jordan can't do or couldn't do in his, in his I mean, time. I mean, he, he, the passing, I, I think I don't think he could pass to the level into the skill and the finesse and the flair that LeBron can. But other than that, that's about it. Yeah, I'll give you that. I'll give you that. He, he LeBron does have a little bit more passing gene uh, in him than, than MJ did. But MJ was just wired to like uh, kill. Scored will on you <laughs> pretty yep. much in all and, and, variety and Jalen <laughs> and Jalen. That's the reason why LeBron uh has the passing gene because he's not wired to kill. Exactly. See, when you wired when you're wired mm-hmm. to kill, now, you I, want that rim and you want to punch. He's not wired that way. He's kind of a mix of Magic and Michael and Carl Malone's body. Is the way mm-hmm. I've always kind of looked at LeBron. He's he's kind of if my if Magic and Michael had a baby and stuck it in Carl Malone's body, it's, it's I would much say I like that. I would say he's more Magic. Uh yeah. I was about to say See, bird the thing, you know. I was about to say bird, but I was like, he can't, he can't, he can't shoot the way bird did. That's that's the only yeah, thing that kept cold. me. That's the that's the only yeah. reason I, I I stepped off of that, stepped away from that, just because I thought about it and I was like, he ain't, you know, that that shooting ability is that's a huge gap there. So yeah, I get, I guess, I guess, I guess MJ. That's what I'm saying. I guess MJ and Magic, but I would say just Magic 
2.0. That's all I can really. That's the only way I can describe him. Let me ask this to both of you: What in the world are the 76ers doing with Ben Simmons? Like, why is this kid still on the team? I mean, like, he's got to be still on. The, he's got to be still on the team, Des. I mean, uh, right now it's a business deal. Right now, it's, it's business. Right now. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of people that can go around to blame in this thing. But Ben Simmons, to me, is the biggest blame to go around for the reasons and the issues that they're having. And that's just because he hasn't wired himself to be a better basketball player and to improve during the offseason. There's no reason this guy, six, seven or six, whatever he is, cannot shoot. Is he 16? Cannot shoot, cannot shoot a freaking free throw and cannot shoot a game winner or a mid shot or mid range jumper or a three pointer when it's time. There's no reason for that. He Granted, can't shoot it no time. He, yeah, that's really what can. there you go. So that's bingo. So bingo. This guy is great on defense, not taking anything away from him defensively at all. But when you're paid superstar money, what is he four years? Um, a hundred and what was it? 30, 40 something million just, dollars. It was, it was a hundred, it was a hundred plus. I'll tell you that. Yeah, it was like yeah, $140 million dollars for, for like year. four years. And he just got it last year. Why would you not live in a gym, improve your game, time to win the championship? Well, because I got $140 million dollars to play with, man. I ain't got time to go to the gym. Okay. All right. Well, you <laughs> might not get $140 million no more. You know what I'm saying? But, uh, <laughs> but look. The last yeah, contract he sees. <laughs> yeah, but there's no reason not to. Nah, so the, issue, the reason why he's still with Philly – Philly is the business people are saying, look, we need you to perform because now the way you have performed the last time that you were on the court, everyone is saying that you're only worth 20 cents on the dollar, 25 cents on the dollar. Business wise, we can't accept that kind of trade. We need you to come on the court. This is bad. Play better. Get your stock up. And when your stock's up, we will get you out of here. You can go. You know what I'm saying? But he got to understand that. The problem is, well, but he's in Philly. Like he can't go play in Philly anymore. Like that's done. There ain't no way in hell that Bill, Ben Simmons can go go back out there on a Philly. Court. You know how them Philly fans are. But then he's gonna go to the vit when they, when they go visit. Like he should have been. He should have made sure he didn't get kicked out of practice and should have been down playing with the Pelicans or against the Pelicans last night in New Orleans. That's where he should have been. Yeah. And then tonight he should have been. Or tomorrow. I'm sorry, not to see. I see y'all got me all messed up and mixed up. <laughs> then, got Ron then, hot. Then he should have been sitting out at the next home Philly game. And then guess what? When it's time to go on I the mean, road, look, play look, so on the man. road and get your stock up. <laughs> Come on, and, and man. Not play at home? Uh, nah. Get your stock well, it's, up. It's a, according to the, the New York Post, it's officially a standoff. It's officially a standoff. This just got posted an hour ago. Um, Sixers president of basketball operations, Daryl Morey, told 97.5 The Fanatic, that the team will either get Simmons to play for Philly or, quote, get a difference maker back in a trade. And because Simmons has tanked his trade value, they can't get a big piece for him right now. Uh, Maury said, oh, my gosh. Maury said this. You're going to think I'm kidding. I'm not. This could be four years. Yeah. Yeah. There's four years left on Simmons' current contract. I saw that today. They cannot trade a superstar who they just gave superstar money to for role players. And that's, do that it. doesn't work. Nope. It's not good business, period. It's better to just sit him down and, and pay him. Yeah, you, I, that's pretty but, much what the Nets are doing with Kyrie. They pretty much, and you don't see them in the news cycle every day with all this. They just decided to, to nip it in the bud and be like, look, stay home until something changes or you decide to go get the vaccine. He's getting Kyrie's getting 17 million, regardless of what he does, play or not, anyway, because of guaranteed contracts. So, same thing with Ben Simmons. They gave him the money, they have to and, pay him. Yeah, so, and with. And Dez, with Ben Simmons, 
if you knew you were gonna act like this last this go round, why sign that deal last year? Get you no, because he, he, he didn't know he was gonna act like this. But you remember, I don't know if he knew. Everything, he it before as, the playoffs. As yeah. the as the play diminished in the end of the season, and then he started, you feel me, disappearing in the playoffs. Things got real tense between him and Joel Embiid. Doc Rivers made a couple comments, and once those comments were made from both Embiid, the team, and Rivers, that's what that's that's how we got to where we're at now. And this all just happened within the last four or five months. Easy. Yeah, thirty three million. He's going to be owed this year. Although I think he's been fined at least a million of that already. Oh, uh, say, next year, well, that's the only reason million. he showed up to practice is, is to try yeah, to with, it, with, his, with his cell phone in his pocket. Y'all, y'all thought he had a cell phone in his pocket. <laughs> cell phone in his pocket. Ostracized himself from the rest of the team when they came up to huddle up and you know do your clearing out. He he in the background. And then the check this out. Then Man. he got put out. Then he, yesterday, apparently, he got put out of practice yesterday. Yeah, Doc kicked him out because he refused it, to do a drill. How do you exactly. refuse to do a drill? But then, yeah. guess what? Per per Philly sources, this is just what I saw. This is what the reports are saying. The internet, per Philly sources, he was spotted within thirty minutes at Delilah's Gentlemen's Club <laughs> <laughs> after being wow. kicked out of practice. Oh no. Wow. I mean, he's basically giving the whole Philly organization the middle finger. It's like, but I'm confused because, like, if you don't want to play for them, to Rod's point, why are you tanking your trade value? Because Philly has already said they're not going to trade you for peanuts. But your 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 actions are making it where no team wants to offer anything for you. See, but and he was he was stuck in a he was stuck in a tough spot though, Des, because after his performances in the playoffs. And after he showed no willingness to shoot those free throws and dunk on Trey Young and go to the line in Game Seven, he, he already tanked his trade value. He was done. Yeah. There was nobody that was good. There weren't many teams out there willing to no. trade a, a a playmaker, a dynamic piece, a, even a, a solid contributor for Ben Simmons when you don't know what you're gonna get. Dude is almost a foot taller than Trey Young, and got he should have put him in the hole. Put him All in the day. He that you know what that reminds me. He was talking. I don't know if it's a real quote or not, but it's something floating around. Probably in a real quote where he's talking about how you know the Bucks just won, but Giannis not shooting any jumpers at all, and he wishes he could be on a team where uh, they used him in that manner instead of going to Joel all the time. I'm like, this can't be a real quote. That don't even sound logical. Yes, it, that does sound something <laughs> that he would say. Well, I don't know if it would get out like that the way it's been because it's been floating around in memes and stuff the past couple of days, but. Uh, Ben Simmons ain't got the same type of post game as Giannis. You know what I mean? Like for him to compare that situation, Giannis he don't have that dog in him like Giannis. Yeah, he got Giannis, that dog. Giannis is a killer. Yeah, Giannis is. I, I became a Giannis fan watching uh, the playoff run last year because I always kind of watched him from afar, and then Milwaukee would fizzle out, and I'm like, eh, you know what? Let me just see. But watching him last year, that that clinching game where he scored 50 points or whatever. That Wilt Chamberlain like game he had where he was just in the paint 50, doing whatever 50 he wanted. Point triple double and hit yeah almost all his like, free throws. I like that's it. Giannis is the best player in the league right now because he stopped Y'all. trying to shoot threes and he realized he was better than everybody and just went and just started posting dudes up like old school basketball. He just like kind of bent Phoenix to his will and I loved it. So I'm kind of that actually leads into my, my other question. Shouldn't we be giving the Bucks some love? I mean, it feels like he's He's become the best player on earth right in front of us, and it feels like we don't talk about him enough. We always talk about LeBron or, or KD. Or, yeah, well, I was about to say, there's that seven-foot Slim Reaper out there, man. You can't say Giannis is better than KD. There's no way you can look at the two guys that are built pretty much the same and say that Giannis is a better basketball player than Kevin Durant because Kevin Durant is a better, is more skilled and can do nah, way more on the court. 
Oh yeah, my god! Bigger body frame than than okay. Durant, frail, kind of skinny type. Dude. Durant like, will shoot from forty feet deeper than Giannis will and hit. Giannis and will hit. And the only let's not realize, <laughs> let's not forget let's not forget the only reason Giannis even smelled the finals is because KD stepped on that line with his size twenty seven shoe. Mm-hmm. Ooh, spicy take there by Jalen Gilkey. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I mean, it goes back. I to mean, the shot went in. I mean, it tied it, and then they went to overtime. And he lost. If you, that's a three, mm-hmm. two inches. That's game over. Night, night. That's all she wrote. It, it goes back to my pickup test. Like at, at this point in time, this actually is a pretty hard question. Now that I'm thinking about it. Who would you take if you're picking teams at a park someplace and peak Kevin Durant standing there and peak Giannis is standing there? We might not even seen peak Giannis yet. It's the problem. Which one would you take between the two? I, I don't know. Before it would have been Durant. After seeing that run last year, I would have to really think about it because Giannis can do a lot of things that Durant can't do. You go ahead, answer Rock, because I, I y'all know my answer already. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, my issue, I don't know because I'm to your uh, last final point, there's we don't know if Giannis is actually peaked yet. I think that's a little too soon to say right now. I think Giannis is still peaking. I think he mm-hmm. see y'all said Giannis was a dog. Y'all said Giannis was a killer. You know why Giannis is a dog and a killer? Because Giannis has an immigrant mentality. Yes. You ever seen the way an immigrant who comes to America who has nothing and they have to work for everything that they got? That's what Giannis has. Giannis he, and has, I do believe they're a two-time immigrant. Right? They immigrated yeah. from Nigeria to Greece and then Greece yeah. to the United States. That's right. He just That's signed right. a $200 million Supermax deal and he still he still looks like that He's same still grinding. Kid. Yeah, He's just still grinding. grinding. I respect yeah. that. I respect so, that. So I, I, I respect y'all points with that. We haven't seen we don't know if we've seen peak Giannis yet, but from what we've seen so far, answer the question. Would you if we play a pickup and it's me, Ooh. I'm first captain, Rod, you second. We matter of fact, we about to shoot for captains. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let's get say say you won, Rod. You hit. Okay, I missed, even though that you know I'm silky yucky, but anyway. Right. <laughs> Rod, your first pick. From what we've seen so far, go ahead, man. That's a that's that's a hard that's a hard one. You, brother, we got to get the game going. The sun yeah, is falling. The sun is falling. In that case, I'm going with Giannis. Then, oh, perfect. I'll take KD. Let's roll. Yeah. We can shoot it. We can shoot it out. We can yeah. shoot it out like that. I'm going with Giannis right because because see, that's the reason it's a hard issue for me. I respect KD's game and I respect what he does, but if you listen to shows that I've done with him. To me, KD is still what I consider a cupcake, and there's no right. why. I for, yeah, I forgot, Rod. Doesn't so you have, can't even. That's what I said. You can't. I've a lot of love for Durant, man. You, you know that's just what it is. I mean, Durant could be off on the side at the park on one of his burner accounts, getting in a fight with somebody on Twitter or something that he said. Fellas, fellas, when that when that ball go up, when that ball go up. Let's, let's not act like we don't know what's happening. What's going on? Hey, Durant yeah, top three. That's what we got you know, Durant top three. I'm actually very impressed. He came back from his injury the way he did. Uh, gives me some hope for Clay. Although Clay, I didn't realize Clay Thompson's missed almost two damn years. Like, yeah, man. Remember, y'all remember that was 2019 when he yeah. when he tore his knee in the finals. Pre-COVID. Last time we saw unbelievable. Clay, they've played two seasons since then. <laughs> you know, and, and everybody's all like. Oh, well, once they get Clay back, the Warriors, they're going to the finals. I'm like, Clay had a torn ACL and then ripped his Achilles. Like, we don't, this never happened before where a guy has that. I can't think of anybody where that's happened. They came back. Not too, not too cataclysmic. And even that, like, I, the only thing, I, the only person I can think of other than Durant that's come back from something like this and played well is Adrian Peterson. And that's football. And that, and Adrian Peterson's a, a damn mutant. So I, I don't know if, uh, 
I don't know. Right? I don't know. And that, that was a whole different, different injury, like, right? That's a whole different. What happened, to, what happened to AP? He had a, uh, he had an ACL. He, he came back. Yeah, he tore his ACL. He was back eight months. Yeah, he was back and ramming into people again all of a sudden. Have y'all real, have y'all recognized that the NBA has played almost well has just started their third season in two calendar years? Yes, it came to my attention uh during that Laker game actually. They were talking about how uh at this point was it at this point last year the Lakers were winning in the bubble. Like they won the title in the bubble around this Unbelievable. time. Unbelievable. Last year. And then they started a new season like 2 months later, got through all that to the summer, and now we're starting another one again like I can see why LeBron took pretty much the whole summer off. I mean, between all that Olympic stuff, he's been basically that is, that is a grind. That is a, that's a grind. <laughs> Jeez, let's uh let's take a quick break. Come back. Uh, we'll be back in just a bit. You'll listen to franchise players on TobaccoRoadSportsRadio.com. The specials never stop at Blue Naples Pizza, an Italian restaurant. Every day, you get a large two-topping pizza for only eleven ninety-nine. On Sunday, watch football and enjoy our large one-topping pizza and 10 wings for only $17.99. Plus lunch specials every day of the week. Blue Naples Pizza and Italian Restaurant, 1519 Union Cross Road in Kernersville. In professional sports, a franchise player is an athlete who is not simply the best player on their team, but one that the team can build their franchise around for the foreseeable future. Welcome back into Franchise Players here on TobaccoRoadSportsRadio.com. I'm your host, Desmond Johnson. You can actually listen to High School Football Live. Uh, we have the most coverage of anyone in the triad starting tonight at 7 p.m. on WTOB, 980 AM, 96.7 FM. Uh, one of the biggest rivalries in the state will actually have a lot to do with state seating when the playoffs start here week after next. East Forsyth hosting Glenn, uh, the Battle of K-Vegas Cup. That'll be this, uh, well, tonight at 7 p.m. Over on WCOG, 1320 AM, Ryan Stone and J.P. Mundy will have another huge rivalry in the state. Page taking on undefeated Grimsley who is number one in our Tobacco Road Sports Radio Power Poll this week, again, uh, and happened for most of the season. That game is a 7.30 kickoff. Uh, you can come in with their pregame at 7 p.m. Two of the biggest rivalry games in the state. We got them both for you, so we got you covered. So definitely check out Tobacco Road Sports Radio uh, this Friday night and every Friday night as we head into the state football playoffs uh, all the way up to Chapel Hill. Coming up right now, he is the senior editor of The Undefeated, good friend John X. Miller joining the Franchise Players Program. What's going on, John, man? And, and we're right in the, the sweet spot of, of college sports, man. We're, you know, we're in homecoming uh, month of October, particularly for HBCUs, but for lots of schools. Uh, and college basketball is, is in the works as well. That's going to kick off in, a, in two or three weeks, man. So for college sports, I'm the, uh, the senior editor for college sports at the Undefeated and for HBCUs at the Undefeated. And so we're in the sweet spot right now. So I'm... Uh, I'm working 24 seven, man. You know, but that's a good thing, right? That's a good yeah. Thing. Considering where we were at this time last year, I'll take it. Like I, mm-hmm. I, I caught myself complaining to my wife about, oh my gosh, I got so much stuff to do tomorrow, and she was like, well, remember what you were doing at this point last year? Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> and, and that goes that goes for lots of folks, man. Yeah, you know, exactly. Things uh, things are back in the mix now, and I think one of the things that's as important is that some things have been transformed. You know, sports are different now in, in some ways. Whether it's you know the fan experience. 
uh, because that was transformed in the stadiums, right? With first the stadiums were empty and now they're wired in different ways than they were beforehand. So fans now have the experience of being able to, to watch a game in front of them, but also be able to, to watch it on this device here and being able to, to, to interact and engage in, in different ways. And then the other thing too, is that with NIL, you know, with mm -hmm. the NCAA now, names, images, and likenesses, you know, that is transforming the game. Uh, just like the uh, the porthole, uh, the transfer portals is transforming the game in college sports. So uh, I'm excited to be a college editor because there's so much going on. Let, let, let me start right there then, because uh, I've asked this question to a lot of folks that I know uh, in the media that cover uh, college sports. And this year is the first year back from COVID where fans are pretty much being allowed to be back in the stands. But I, you know, I called a lot of college games, high school games last year in empty arenas, empty stadiums. Talk, talk to me a little bit, especially covering the HBCUs and that environment that, that that's created whenever you're at a Winston-Salem State or an A&T or uh, Fayetteville State or wherever. How different is it to not have those fans there as opposed to this year where uh, you know, Geo's right around the corner, if I'm not mistaken, mm -hmm. for a uh, Winston-Salem State, I think they just announced their homecoming concert this morning uh, on uh, the Journal's website. Uh, how, how big of a deal is it to have th those crowds, especially at a HBCU, as opposed to last year where uh, a and for example, didn't even play a football season because they couldn't have the fans in the stands. They just didn't want to risk it. They decided just mm -hmm. to scratch the whole season. So they technically hadn't played in a full calendar year when they got back on the field this year. Give me your, your thoughts on that in terms of that fan interaction, especially with the HBCUs and how important it is for uh, for schools. I, I think it adds uh, a, a, an amount of energy to a Saturday afternoon, not just at the game, but around the campuses. You know, we know that at HBCUs in particular, you know, you get this energy that that is brought about by the bands and the dancers. Uh, you get the energy uh, and the hype of the players, you know, going to the stadium and preparing for the game, right? And the stadiums are in the midst of the campus. It's not like some of the, you know, some of the bigger schools, you know, the, the stadiums that the HBCUs play are in and right on campus. And so it adds a, a, a tremendous amount of energy. The other thing, too, is that, you know, it, it the absence of sports last year, you know, made people appreciate it more. Right. And so we're finding fans. I mean, what Jackson State last week had, I think, 53,000 people at their homecoming. Wow. Uh, more than attended the uh, the Alabama uh, Mississippi State game. Uh, and so I, I think I know it is. But I but I think the energy now is back because people appreciate it more. You know, uh, absence makes the heart grow fonder. You know, that's an old expression. But I think it's particularly true in HBCU universe because of the bands because the fans miss that that family environment on saturdays uh and the stadiums are in the midst of the campuses a quick plug a t versus hampton uh on tobacco road uh saturday at 2 p.m the pregame with donald ware is at 1 30 uh we are the new home for a t athletics so i've gotten a chance to really get immersed in the HBCU culture, uh, really over the past couple of months, working with their athletic program, being on campus, uh, interviewing students and coaches, and just kind of seeing what that whole thing is about. Now, if you had to describe the undefeated in a few short sentences, like an elevator pitch to someone uh, that you had never met before, how would you describe it to a stranger? The undefeated is a multi-platform uh, content provider of uh, content around the intersection of sports, race, and culture. Um, but we do also movies. 
uh, right now we have a series on ESPN Plus called Why Not Us. Uh, it's a series about why not us as far as HBCUs are concerned. Um, and the series uh, dropped its second episode out of eight this fall, and it's on FAMU, uh, Florida A&M football. Okay. Uh, and so we also uh, have uh, music uh, productions in terms of albums, oh, EPs. Wow. We've published uh, three EPs, four EPs coming up. This well, Our fourth one is coming, I believe, uh, in November, and it's m- music of the movement. Uh, is the theme of the music, and, and it's and it's new songs written by current artists like Dwele, but it's also remakes of of Inner City Blues mm. uh, by uh, uh, Marvin Gaye and and other remakes uh, that have been um, done in contemporary fashion. Uh, we publish books. We publish children's books on Black history. Uh, we published a book that's a bestseller in the New York Times uh, on the, the forty four. African Americans that changed history, uh, and so we're doing all those kinds of things. And 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 right now we're we're actually in production uh, of a of a of a band component. We we do a band ranking every uh, every month during the fall, our, and our second band ranking dropped today. Uh, and the top HBCU band in the land is the Anti Blue and Gold Marching Machine. Hey, Blue and Gold uh, Machine. And so our band rankings are done by band directors and by choreographers. That's it's awesome. not a, it's not a fan poll. It is a ranking done by directors and people inside of bands who know musicality, who know drum uh, and precision, who know percussion. Uh, they know what it takes to have an, a, a great marching band, and they're the ones who are adjudicating it. So. Uh, we've got a lot of great response the last time we dropped our initial poll in September. Our second one dropped today. And the fact that A&T is the top band in the land just shows the consistency of their program because we didn't have a band ranking last year because of, of COVID. But the year before, in 2019, A&T, the, the Blue and Gold Marching Machine, ended up at the end of the season as the top band in the country among HBCU bands. So we do a lot at the undefeated. Yeah, I gotta go look for that because I need to retweet that out. Uh, I'm sure. Yes, yes, it's it's it's, it's, it's the uh, it's our top. If you go to our site right now, it's the top story on our site. Awesome. Uh, it's un, the undefeated.com. Uh, undefeated.com yes. Everyone listening to this definitely need to go over there and start making it a habit to start checking it out because they do excellent work. Um, on the line with me, one of the senior editors over at the undefeated, John X Miller. I, I wanted to get into your day because we were we were scheduling this out. I knew I wanted to have an interview with you at some point and we were trying to figure out the best time both of us got a whole lot of stuff going on walk me through a typical day for for john miller in terms of okay how do you how do you um how are how are ideas for articles and stories brought to you how do you determine what's going to fit what you've already built uh at the undefeated in terms of that that theme that that uh that particular type of article because the articles you guys put out the type of content you guys put out you don't normally see it on on espn.com but at a lot of times it's it's more in depth and better than what i would find about the same topic on espn if that makes any sense so what's, what's your process with that in terms of figuring out what the, the the sweet spot i guess in terms of this article would work for us this article is not necessarily for the undefeated all right and so the parameters that i use and a lot of our editors use is how does it look 
how does it appear? How does it read through the black gaze, right? And so we want to filter everything through the process of telling stories, whether it's with video, social, written word, or with, with uh, uh, any medium. How do we tell a story unique to a black athlete or to a situation that is in, uh, unique to uh, black art, black music? Um, and so, you know, we have a podcast now, for instance, the very popular podcast. Uh, the name of it is The King of Crenshaw. Uh, and it's a podcast series that was produced by one of our reporters named Justin Tinsley uh, on uh, Nipsey Hussle and his life and his influence. And so we want to, to dig deep. We, we, you know, we, we want our content to go very deep in terms of explaining and exploding the idea of black lives and how do they matter in how they are lived. And so uh, I'm also the con commentary editor for The Undefeated. And so when somebody pitches a story to me, I want to make sure that that story tells us part of the story that hadn't been told before. Mm -hmm. You know, um, my day starts pretty much around 8 a.m. where I'm up in the morning posting stories for the, for the current day. And so this morning I was up posting and making sure that stories like the band rankings were going to get posted, meaning that they go live, yeah. that we have two or three other stories that are going to go live over the next hour or so that I'll post. Then at 10 a.m. we have our morning news meeting where all the editors by Zoom, we, I'm in the undefeated office now for the first time in many, many months. <laughs> Normally our meetings used to be here at the office, but now meetings are on Zoom. And so we talk about what stories are planned for the day, what stories are planned for the next day, and what happened overnight as far as content that might be interesting to our audience. Uh, and then through the day, I'm talking to reporters, I'm editing stories, I'm having conversations with other people at ESPN around HBCU content or around college content affecting black athletes. Uh, and I was on a call yesterday uh, about a, a new product that's uh, a new idea that somebody brought to the undefeated and they wanted my opinion of how it might affect HBCUs or HBCU content. And then I got in a conversation uh, with one of the guys on the call about uh, the, the head coach at Michigan State, Mel Tucker, who's the black head coach at Michigan State. Michigan State is already qualified for their, uh, you know, the bowl uh, their six bowls for their six and oh, and their, their, their arch rival Michigan is coming to, and, uh, is coming to East Lansing, uh, next week. They're and so we had, we, yeah, yeah the undefeated too. So we had a conversation just about the fact that the Mel Tucker is a, is a, is a unique blackhead coach and in the pac 10, excuse me, um, in the big 10. And so my days are about conversations around content that is going to be uh, edited, that's going to be ideated, and that's going to be produced on multiple platforms for colleges and for commentary. And and really, it's kind of a 24-7 job. Uh, you know, last night I was editing a Mark Spears piece. Mark Spears is our NBA uh, reporter. He gave me a piece that's embargoed that I'm going to publish in about, uh, about a half an hour about the NBA uh, uh, donating more time and money and, and sponsorship to HBCUs beginning with an, a, a, the, something called the NBA HBCU Classic next February, right around the All-Star Game. Oh, wow. Yeah, so that kind of breaking news happens. You know, I got to edit it the night before so that when it's, it's ready to publish the next morning. And I was doing that last night about 10 o'clock. 
Yeah, that, that is the one thing that I've learned working in media that the, the media does not wait for you in no. terms of when you're ready to put it out there. It, it, you got to kind of keep up with the uh, with the Joneses, so to speak. Um, mm-hmm. I, real quick, before I get to my final question, I know, like me, you are a huge North Carolina fan. Mm-hmm. Uh, late night in HD, rolling out the new era this past weekend. Uh, our, our buddy B Dot got the hosting gig, and uh, I had him on Franchise Players a week or two before that. He was just mm-hmm. super excited uh, that they had chosen him to take over that role. What do you? Um, what are your thoughts on Hubert Davis being the, the new head coach of Carolina? Being a huge Carolina fan yourself, how do you think Hubert's going to do here in his first year? Well, you know, I, let me let me say one thing, and that is, you know, I, I used to be the editor of the Winston Salem Journal before I took the job here at ESPN at the undefeated. And so my roots are always going to be in North Carolina. Uh, And so I'm always have, you know, I might be, might be, you know, editing content for the undefeated, but I'm always a Carolina guy. And so, you know, I was, I was not surprised when Davis got the job. I knew they were grooming him uh, as opposed to Sean May. Thank right. you. Right. I knew <laughs> they were like grooming Carolina him. People, we knew it's like everyone that mm-hmm. I've talked to outside of like the, uh, when we say Carolina family, we mean mm-hmm. like me, you, like, mm-hmm. I mean, we didn't go to Carolina, but we're diehard mm-hmm. Carolina folks. So we're all mm-hmm. kind of included in that. It drives me nuts when I hear like the brotherhood, like for Duke, because that's really kind of like a recruiting pitch thing that started. Yes. Like, yes. We didn't hear that when Leitner and Hurley and those guys were there. It didn't exist. So didn't exist. I'm so happy to hear you. Uh, echo what I've been saying for years that they were grooming Hubert Davis for this role. It was never going to be anybody else. It was probably yeah. going to be Hubert all the way through. Mm-hmm. And uh, just to hear it out of your mouth just made me just warm my heart because <laughs> someone, well, was, you know, it, it was so obvious. Yeah, it was obvious. And the other thing too is that you know he brings the values of of the program that existed. You know when Dean was coaching, right? And so I, you know, I remember I was the editor in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, at the, the Sun News when Dean Smith died, and I I cried, man, because not only what he did for uh, uh, the players, but what he did for integration. Absolutely, with, with Charlie Scott. What he did for allowing excellence to flow through players who were might not be NBA prospects, right? But you know, when he did get he hit Michael Jordan, he <laughs> he taught him, right? He saw that he had talent, and he allowed that talent to flourish. But he allowed that talent to flourish throughout all of his players, and so I'm hopeful that that Hubert Davis will have that same kind of Carolina gene that he will coach up his players to make them the best possible players that they can be. And that he can be the kind of coach that embraces the young black athlete uh, nowadays, right? Because it takes a different mentality. And I think that was one reason that, that Roy Williams resigned is that it takes a different mentality to deal with players off the court than on the court, right? He can deal with on the court stuff, but with the transfer portal, with, you know, some of the students now thinking, you know, wow, you know, I'm, I'm 6'11", you know, I'm ready for the NBA coming out of high school. You know, it, that's not always the case, but sometimes that gets embedded in players' minds. And so I think Hubert's going to be the kind of coach that coaches them up, but also is kind of a, a father figure that allows him to have the kind of conversations with some of these players, the heart-to-heart conversations that will help convince them that he's going to help them become better men in addition to better basketball players. I, I agree. And uh, I think that's part of the reason why 
Hubert got the job. I mean, he was his top recruiter basically for the past six or seven years, sat right beside Roy, learned the way, was coached by Dean. So, yep. I mean, there's yep. not really a better candidate out there. I know that people were hollering for Wes Miller, uh, but to me, it was never going to be them picking Wes Miller over Hubert Davis, yeah. who just yeah. sat there. He gave up a job at College Game Day to come be an assistant coach at Carolina. Like, why? <laughs> you know, like, why would you do something like that unless you had something bigger in the back of your mind? Um, I wanted to ask this question, too. This is going to be the final question for the segment. Um, with the with the world of journalism becoming more and more digital, uh, actually, let me back up a second. One of my professors at UNCG, I graduated in 2003 from their media studies program. And every once in a while, uh, one of my professors, uh, Frank Donaldson, will have me come back and speak to his media classes in terms of whatever I'm doing at the time. And I just spoke to them two weeks ago uh, about Tobacco Road and getting it started and everything else. With the world of journalism becoming more and more digital and print kind of getting phased out over time, what advice would you give African-American college students right now that are going to be looking for a career in sports media going forward? What, what advice would you That's give? That's an excellent question. In there? Excellent question. And, and in, here at The Undefeated, I work with uh, st students from HBCUs called the Roden Fellows. And we were in our fifth class of these students. And, you know, we've got students from A&T, Howard, Morgan State, Bowie State. Um, and they are, they've got journalism programs, right? And so when they come out of the journalism programs, you know, they're not quite ready for the world, right? Because they're teaching them, you know, basics, right? It's like boot camp, right? College is boot camp. But when you hit the field, uh, you know, of, of, of competitive landscape of journalism, you have to have certain skills that, that you can compete with, right? And so I tell students, and, and I work with students day in and day out on uh, some basics, what they call the blocking and tackling of, of journalism, and which is, which is reporting, right? There's a difference between reporting and writing. People think that I can write and I can be a journalist, but reporting means you've got to gather the facts. You've got to know how to interview people. You have to know how to find those people to interview them. You have to be able to ask the right questions. You have to be able to understand the story and arc, the narrative, the story that you're trying to write even before you begin writing it so that you can structure it in your head or is it through an outline before you start reporting it. So reporting is the first thing. The second thing is recognizing that storytelling is the key across all medium, whether it's digital, whether it's print, whether it's video, how do you tell a narrative? How do you tell a story? How do you weave a story together? And so that's one thing that I learned uh, in, at journalism in the, in the print world, but that taken to a different level working for ESPN because ESPN now not only is written, but it's video. We do lots of video mm -hmm. and we have to start thinking as journalists in ways that allow us to think about storytelling, narrative storytelling through putting pieces of that story together in a way that the audience listens to it or that the, you know, it's a podcast, how they listen to that story, or if it's a video, how's that story told? Or if it's a written story, how's that written story told? So understanding how to weave narratives together and tell great stories. And the third thing is perseverance, right? Because they're going to run up into to headwinds, whether it's not being able to find their dream job. Because I asked students, I said, what's your dream job? And often people say, well, I want to be like Stephen A. Smith, right? Uh, and I said to them, well, where did Stephen A. Smith start? They said, I don't know. I said, he started at the Winston-Salem Journal right. as an intern. 
<laughs> and then he went from the Winston-Salem Journal working for the Philadelphia Inquirer for years before he got on radio. Then he got on radio. Then he got on radio at ESPN. Then he got on TV. So everybody, not everybody, but a lot of students today want to in, want to start their career in their dream job. They don't understand quite fully that it's a road, that it's a journey to that job. And along that road, they have to learn bit by bit, day by day, year by year to accumulate these skills so that they're able to be able to become top-notch professionals. Because if you want to, you know, in any, in any career, if you want to be a, a top-notch professional, you have to learn, you have to execute, and you have to be consistent and persistent over a period of time. I ain't gonna lie. Most of that question, I really asked it for me, not the kids out there. So, <laughs> but we no, all seriously. we all can need some help, and we all need help, no doubt. Seriously, though, man, I really appreciate you having having uh, having you come on, take a little bit of time out of your busy morning. Uh, you can follow John's work and everybody's work at the undefeated at theundefeated dot com. Um, you can follow John on uh, excuse me on Twitter at xman nineteen fifty five. It's one of the senior editors over at the Undefeated. Definitely go check out their work. And, uh, John, I'd love to have you back on a little bit later on in the year once college basketball really gets going. and gets yeah, in the year. I know you're a huge college basketball fan. Um, and we'll uh, we'll bring you back uh, sometime soon. All right, Desmond. I appreciate it, man. Thank you. Coming up, more from franchise players here on TobaccoRoadSportsRadio.com. In professional sports, a franchise player is an athlete who is not simply the best player on their team but one that the team can build their franchise around for the foreseeable future. Welcome back into Franchise Players here on TobaccoRoadSportsRadio.com. I am your host, Desmond Johnson. The Charlotte Hornets started off the 2021-22 season on a good note, a 123-121 come-from-behind victory game one versus the Indiana Pacers. I've got on the line with me right now Jason Huber. He is a contributor to Swarm and Sting. What's going on, Jason? How you doing? Good. How you doing, Des? Uh, yeah, it was a great win last night. Uh, it's a crazy way to start off the season. I, I, I was telling uh, a few friends that this might be the first Hornet season since maybe the early 90s where I've been this excited to see what this Hornets team can do. They've got a lot of young talent, uh, possibly some transcendental ta- talent that we'll get to in just a bit. But uh, LaMelo Ball, uh, the second year point guard, he led all scores with 31 points on uh, uh, Wednesday night. Do you think that LaMelo takes the leap to superstar this year because it looked like he, he was kind of walking with a little pep in his step the other night. It's it's yeah, it's close. I mean, I, I wrote last night after the game about some of the takeaways and it, it's that he, he is a franchise guy. I mean, already in year two, I mean, we see players, you know, become kind of the, the face of the franchise. I mean, Kemba Walker was great here. He was an all-star, but at the same time, he wasn't that player that can really take you to the next level. He needed a, a, a a 1A type guy, possibly, which they were never able to get him. But LaMelo Ball looks like that dude that can really take over a game. He has the flash. He has he has the ability to have the fans gather around him. And, and he looks like he's going to be a superstar in this league for a long time. And, you know, that's one of the reasons why um, when the debate was going on about who to draft, uh, out of the top three that were sitting there, uh, at the time, James Wiseman, who ended up going to Golden State, Anthony Edwards, who ended up going to Minnesota, and Lamelo, who basically fell in our lap because the first two were taken. I'd already kind of pegged Lamelo as the one out of the three that was kind of 
almost raised for superstardom, for lack of a better word. He's been around it since he was 14, 15 years old. So, you know, he can kind of at least have an idea of what to expect. And with him being the youngest ball brother, he always seemed to be the one that was tabbed to be the one that had the most talent. Do you think that that's actually coming into play? Because I know Lonzo's up in Chicago. Uh, last I checked, Jello is, I think, with our G League team, if I'm not mistaken, so or will be with our G League team. But it feels like Lamelo is just kind of a little different. It almost feels like he's kind of what everyone thought Lonzo was going to be, but just better. Like, do you, what do you think the ceiling is for this kid? Yeah, I mean, it's funny because his father, Lavar Ball, who when he was, he's always been outspoken, and he was, he would always say that Lamelo Ball is the son that would be the moneymaker. And we didn't really have a chance to see or, or prove his comments on that because he didn't play in college, Lamella. He played overseas. He struggled a bit because he was, he was only like 13, 14 years old at the time. He was very small. He didn't have his growth spurt yet. We really didn't know much about him. We knew about Lonzo Ball because he played at UCLA. Leangelo Ball didn't last at UCLA that long, so we didn't really get to see him. So a lot of it was just hearing the words of LeVar Ball and, and what does he think. We saw Lamella Ball go off at times overseas, but – you know, when we're over here, we don't we don't know that we don't see that we can't really believe that until we until we're able to have the vision of it with our own eyes. So that's probably a big reason why Minnesota took Anthony Edwards, who was who at least showed in college that he can that he can play like a potential star, and James Wiseman, who was projected to be the number one pick until he he stayed at a college for a year. So right. it's it's really that we didn't know we didn't know how good he'd be. Yeah, and, and I think looking back on it, I think the Hornets are happy that it, it worked out the way it did. Um, although they are kind of in the need of a center, I think. Mason Plumlee clearly is not it uh, in terms of the answer at center. But I don't think they signed him with the idea that he would be the answer at center. Is there a solution at center on the roster currently? I don't think so. I mean, and, and, and that's hard to say. That's sad to say because it there's not many other options that they can get right now. I mean, unless you go back and sign a guy like a reliable guy, like Bismack Biyombo, who I wouldn't even say is very reliable. Right. It's just, there's not a lot of centers out there right now. I think they kind of blew that this off season because you knew you needed a center. They traded for Mason Plumlee and banked on that. They're relying on the development of a Nick Richards and Vernon Carey who, and obviously Kai Jones, but that's going to take a little bit of time but we still can't even say that that's the answer. So no, I don't think there's a better answer than Mason Plumlee on the roster right now. That's not a good thing. I'm really hoping I'm, I had high hopes for Vernon Carey and I know he's on the main roster uh, right now, along with Nick Richards. And I would imagine that they're there because they do have some sort of plan for them down the road. Uh, but I keep forgetting that Vernon Carey, I think he's like 20, if I'm not mistaken, like he got, <laughs> he got drafted two years ago at age 18 uh, Nick Richards is fairly young as well. Kai Jones is 19, I think. So like they're, they're, I think physically they're just not ready yet to, to bang around. Although the current NBA game, there's not a whole lot of banging around going on in the paint as opposed to like 15 years ago. Um, so I think it's more of a matter. Can they, can they go out and, you know, stretch the floor a little bit the way Borrego wants to play with the ball movement and everything else. But that's something we definitely need to keep an eye on because, uh, it felt like Indiana was trying to continue where they left off in that play in game. Uh, in the playoffs where they basically just attacked us inside. Like they knew where the weakness was and they just hammered us in the inside. And that's how they started off this game uh, Wednesday night with Sabonis. Who Who's the player, Jason, on this uh, Hornets roster that you're keeping your eye on that you're looking to break out this season? Like who would you put money on to have a breakout year? 
I'd say for a breakout year, you, you got to go with Miles Bridges. Um, I mean, last night we saw a little bit that PJ Walker or PJ Washington, I'm sorry, still struggled a little bit, but Miles Bridges, I think he's in the starting lineup now. He didn't get that contract extension, so he's going to be playing for money really this year. I mean, he's got, he wants to hope that he either gets a big contract with the Hornets again or gets a restricted free agent offer from another team. So he kind of has to have a breakout year or else he'll be one of the, the, the great 2018 draft class players looking from the outside in with all the money that's been coming to them recently. Yeah. Yeah. I would definitely agree uh, on that aspect. Speaking of which uh, it feels like they're going to have to make a decision down the road or maybe not even down the road here soon regarding Miles Bridges or PJ Washington, who's more valuable to the team? Because it feels like there's a, uh, a log jam at that position and you don't really want to play either one of them out of position. I know they've played them both at times when they've played the small ball lineup with them, Terry Rogier, who, who's out still uh, the middle ball and uh, Gordon Hayward. But eventually one of these guys they're going to have to move off of. Uh, and I know miles is kind of in a contract year. They're negotiating now. Which one do you think is more valuable to the future of the Hornets, PJ Washington or Miles Bridges? I think you have to say Miles Bridges at this point. I mean, last year, I think we would have said PJ Washington, but it's starting to look like, and, and you know, he could very well, you know, silence me in a few weeks just by the if he starts playing really good. But it looks like his ceiling or his, close to his ceiling might have been kind of in that rookie year. It seems like he's kind of been stagnant since with the same type of play. But Miles Bridges has proven that he's. He's elevated his game every single season. We've seen him go off for 30 points. We've seen the athletic ability of him. We've seen the the defensive ability from him. So I think it, it's got to be him if you have to move on from one of them. You have to keep Miles Bridges and let P.J. Washington fin- finish out his rookie contract and, and either let him go or, or try to make a trade for him. I'd imagine there'd have to be some sort of suitor for Washington. I mean, he, he does have attributes that I'd imagine a lot of teams would like. Good defender, uh, good size on him. Um, but it just feels like duplication at that point at that point. And I agree with you. I would think that miles would be the one that has the bigger upside that the Hornets would want to keep uh, going forward. So we'll see how those negotiations work out on the line with the swarm and sting contributor, Jason Huber. You can follow him on Twitter uh, and his work at uh, underscore Jason Huber. And you can get to all the articles and whatnot that are available from uh, Jason at swarm and sting covering the Hornets. Um, the, Hornets did welcome back Gordon Hayward, who dealt with some injuries last year, kind of derailed the team when he was out. This team clearly looks like a different team when he's not only when he's on the court with them because he started off slow Wednesday night, but when he's actually on because they kind of made their comeback in the third quarter of that Pacers game when he started to hit shots. How much are the Hornets fortunes tied to Gordon Hayward's health this season? Can they have a successful season without Gordon Hayward? It's it's uh, it's going to be everything is health. I mean, we saw last night. A, when he struggled at the beginning of the game to, to make some of his shots, how they didn't really have much offense. Obviously, Terry Rozier didn't play, so that makes a difference. But still, it's just the offense relies on him. And then we saw in the fourth quarter when they retook that lead and then the Pacers kind of kept around and it's going back and forth. Gordon Hayward, he showed that the reason why he's been in the league so long and why he's been such a good player for this long. He scored 13, I think, of his 27 points in the fourth quarter. And he was making basket after basket and, and – really help Charlotte hold on to the hold on to the game. Um, so if and we saw last year how the Hornets kind of fell apart once he went out. There's a reason they signed him to that contract. They wanted the veteran leadership. They wanted a player that that has high basketball IQ. And if they don't have him they're they're just simply not as good of a team. And and, and that's unfortunate because he is a guy that gets injured a lot. He is an older guy, but right now 
they have to make sure the money that they paid him is, is worth it. Yeah. Now, going forward, I know uh, the Hornets face the Cavaliers tonight, 7 p.m. Friday night. Um, and looking at their schedule, it, I mean, there's some there's some pockets in there. They have the Nets right after that. But the Nets are going, of course, through their own uh, situation internally with the Kyrie Irving thing. So who knows by the time we get to the Nets in a couple of days, uh, whether or not uh, Kyrie Irving will even be on the floor or not. Probably, I would lean towards not. Um, but I wanted you to give two separate bold predictions for the Hornets for the 2021-22 season that I'm going to react as the host. I'm going to react to your bold predictions. So give me one of your bold predictions for the Charlotte Hornets uh, team for this season. Uh, well, the first one I'll go with is, is one that could be very possible is that LaMelo Ball, be, LaMelo Ball will be named an all-star. And I think the reason for that is you look at the point guards in the East. Uh, I mean, Kyrie Irving's not really playing. He probably won't play much this year. Ben Simmons is obviously... Who knows what's going on with that? Russell Westbrook's <laughs> in the Eastern Conference. There's going to be spots for the uh, for the point guard spot. And Lamelo Ball, if he keeps playing like he did last night, that should be a, a guarantee that he'll be named an All Star this year. So that's my uh, first one. And I'm, if if you want to go ahead on on that one, uh, yeah, let's stop right there for a second because uh, I agree. I think I mentioned last week. I thought Lamelo Ball could take that step to be an All Star uh, in the East for the very reasons you said. Um, Trey Young probably it would be the main guy he would have to worry about at the point guard position for starting uh, in the East. I was trying to think of who else is um, in the East that might be able to do something. Colin Sexton, maybe with the Cavaliers. Um, I'm, just, I'm just going through my mind. Uh, the point guards that are in the East, maybe Kimba with the Knicks, if uh, you know, if the knee holds up or whatnot, but you're right. I think LaMelo might have the best uh, shot to not only make the Eastern Conference all-star roster, but maybe even be a starter, which would be the first time, uh, I think, since Kimba that we've had uh, an all-star starter. I can't remember if Kimba started or not, but I think he was the last all-star we had. Yeah, he started, I think, yeah. uh, two years I think that was, was that the one when they were in Charlotte? Yeah, he did start that game. Yeah, yeah so, and that was that's going on like four years now, five years now. So it's been a minute. Um, so that would be huge for the franchise. Hit me with the uh, Hit me with the second one. The second one, you know, out of the bold predictions I wrote before the season, one that I do think is a possibility, especially after last night, is James Perrigo winning uh, Coach of the Year. I mean, Ooh. we it's interesting because no, no one's really picked him to do that. But last year when they were playing well, there were some rumblings about him being in that conversation. And I think this year, if, if it depends, I mean, you've got to win at least more than 45 games for him to really have a chance to win that award. Um I mean, we saw some of the moves that he made last night throughout the game adjusting well, and it was a good look for him. I mean, a lot of criticism about him is in-game decisions. And if he's able to lead the Hornets to 45, 50 wins, I think he's he's got to be talked about for that award. You know, it's crazy, too. You know, I hadn't really thought about it, but it was brought to my attention. Coach Borrego is actually one of the most longest tenured coaches in the NBA. Uh, I know there's a lot of turnover in the NBA, but the, the fact that he's been with the Hornets – uh, I'm trying to think of when he first started. It's been four or five years now that he's been here, and he just signed yeah, since Tempa's last year, which is yeah. about you know, four years ago already. So the the fact that uh, NBA coaches get recycled that quickly, and that Borrego's actually been allowed to be here and kind of coach this rebuild, because uh, he came in around the same time Mitch Kupchak came in, and had to clear out a lot of the uh, bad decisions and contracts and things that Rich Cho, the former GM had done beforehand. And I honestly, I think Mitch has done an exceptional job with roster building uh, in terms of getting value in the second round of drafts, bringing in trades, guys that could help contribute and understand the system and drafting first round talent that feels like it's going to fit 
seamlessly into Borrego's system. So I'm super excited about the future of the Hornets. Um, again, follow Jason at underscore Jason Huber, contributor for Storm, uh, for Storm, excuse me, Swarm and Sting uh, online, where you can get the latest info, analysis, and columns for the Charlotte Hornets. Jason, appreciate having you on, man, and we'll definitely have you back on again throughout the season. Appreciate it. Appreciate having me again. Coming up, more from franchise players here on TobaccoRoadSportsRadio.com. Looking to tailgate this summer? Stop by One Stop on the way. One Stop number 6, located just one mile west of East Versailles at 2748 West Mountain Street in Kernersville. One Stop serves fresh fried chicken and our famous taters seven days a week from 6 a.m. to 10 p.m. Feeding a crowd? Get 16 pieces of chicken and sides for just $27.99. Craving wings? Come try our new spicy breaded wings. Get a five Five-wing meal with six taters and a roll for just $7.39. Now in regular hot ranch or spicy. One stop number six, 2748 West Mountain Street in Kernersville. In professional sports, a franchise player is an athlete who is not simply the best player on their team, but one that the team can build their franchise around for the foreseeable future. Back to franchise players here on Tobacco Road Sports Radio. Desmond Johnson here with the panel. Hot Rod Funderburg, Jalen Gilkey from WFMY News 2. Uh, before we actually get into NFL stuff, I would be amiss if I did not give Rod and, and, and Jalen an opportunity to talk about the two high school football rivalries that we're going to be covering on Tobacco Road later on tonight. East Forsyth Glen and Kernersville. Me and Rod will be calling that game. Uh, Rod, you've pretty much watched East Forsyth all year. You've basically traveled with them when you haven't been calling their games and been on the sideline. Uh, you did the nest uh, earlier this week with head coach Todd Willard. What's the mentality of the East Forsyth football team going into this game? Because it's a lot at stake. Yeah, man, East Forsyth, they're ready to go. You know, they've been practicing hard all week. They've been watching a lot of film. You know, they're conditioned. They're ready. And uh, they're just they're just ready to, to get a little get back as well. You know, they're still East Forsyth is still remembering – in the springtime when they took that loss to Glenn, not only did they take a loss to Glenn, but they took two losses to Glenn at the beginning and the end of the season during the springtime. Uh, so East is still remembering that and they're looking to dethrone Glenn as the Kings of Kernersville. And uh, I can't wait for the show to get on the road. I think it's going to be a hard hitting game. I think it's going to be a great defensive game, at least from Glenn's standpoint, but I think it's going to be, Great to see Glenn's defense go against East Forsyth's offense. And to me, it's going to be a battle of wheels and who wants it more. And then over in Guilford, Page and Grimsley going to get after it at Jameson Stadium. Uh, Jalen, are you going to be at that game for uh, WFMY Friday? Or Unfortunately, I will not be at that game, but our uh, Amanda will be at that game. They'll be live. Um, but I'm just super excited to see what Page is going to bring to the table uh, tomorrow. Yep. Uh, start of the year, what, 0-3? Went on a four-game winning streak and then just lost a heartbreaker last week. So to be playing their biggest rival, the defending state champion, who everybody has been on all year, and they are still rolling. Yeah, undefeated. Uh, I, undefeated. Travis Charles actually is going to be back. He's back Friday. his first game back. Uh, so it's going to be it's going to be a good one. I, I I would like to see Paige put up a good fight because, uh, as most know, before last year Grimsley wasn't really hadn't really done much in years, and so yeah. yeah. Page is trying to Page had, you know, yeah, exactly. Page in the state championship game as recently as I think 2015, 2016. Exactly. Um, so they're trying to re reassert their name on top of 
Greensboro football. So I can't wait to see the boys strap it up and all. Player to, player to watch tonight, Mr. Do It All, Jaron Blackwell. Freshman, mm-hmm. unbelievable. Six plays wide receiver, cornerback, quarterback, running back, whatever you want to do. He's well, he gets the ball. He's a freshman, but he's electric. I'll I'll say on uh on the Forsyth side, the East Forsyth Glenn game player to watch, Quayshawn Brown uh from East Forsyth. He actually was our Tobacco Road Carolina Cobras player of the week this week, had four touchdowns last week against Reynolds. Uh he's a junior. Dude, it's just a problem. Like if you haven't had a chance to see him yet, uh you're gonna hear about him before the season's over with. Uh Glenn got some Glenn got some dudes too. So it's it's I can't wait. I can't wait to get over to the nest. You know, uh they're gonna have food up in the booth, Rod. We're gonna be rocking like normal. Uh, as closest to normal as we've been since all this stuff started. So I, I can't wait for that. Um, real quick, NFL blitz. Uh, I was looking at the schedule. Uh, it's not really a lot of games that are popping out at me that are interesting. Um, Kansas City at Tennessee, possibly at 1 o'clock on CBS. The Panthers are taking on the New York Giants. If I thought there was a team out there that was more woeful than the Panthers have been the past three weeks, we found one. And it's the Giants. Uh, pretty much everybody is hurt uh, for the Giants. Yeah. Um, Stephon Gilmore might actually suit up and play for Carolina this Sunday. He actually started practicing this week. Uh, so we'll, we'll kind of see what's happening there. Um, this Deshaun Watson stuff started picking up some steam this week, but now, now I'm starting to think it was Houston that put it out there to try to trade them. They're not going to get what they're asking for. They're asking for like multiple first round picks, a couple of seconds and like two, like day one starters or something like that. And you know what why I would, find interesting? Why would trade for that, though? They don't know when I, Watson's going to play. This is a very similar situation to what Philly's got going on. If you really think about it, this, the franchises find themselves in similar situations. You, you because, know what? You're right. Yeah, yeah. Because right. it's a lot of uncertainty with both players. I mean, it's not really mu- as so much with Deshaun Watson's play. Uh, but like you said, we don't know what's going to happen. I feel like, personally, that as soon as he's traded, they're going to put him on the commissioner's exempt list and – He's not going to be able to play. So that's why teams are hesitant to trade for him. Like besides besides the total package that Houston is off asking for, which is real, real, real rich, real rich. <laughs> A lot. Now, granted, I kind of get it from their viewpoint because, I mean, wouldn't you call – I mean, I know it's been a minute since we've seen him, but I'd feel safe calling Deshaun Watson the top five quarterback in the league. I mean, he had this Houston Texans team in the playoffs last year. Or so, year before, so I would not. I would not oppose that. I mean, he was. He yeah, was I mean, I more. think. I think he's. I think he's close. If he's not all the way there, I mean, if you're talking about top five quarterback, of course you got Tom Brady. Of course you got that bad man uh, up in Green Bay. Rodgers, and then and then um, you've got Lamar over in Baltimore. Jackson, who was nothing but Ooh, box office, and they've been yeah. winning games simply because of Lamar Jackson. And, so he's two, uh, and he's two and zero against Deshaun Watson. Two forty, uh, two blowouts. He is. He is. And then you've got to look at, um, you know, the Mahomes. quarterback who's got him under. Yeah, oh, yeah. Patrick Mahomes. Then you got to look at the quarterback in Arizona who still has Arizona undefeated right now. So that's five quarterbacks we just Kyler listed Murray. right there. Yeah. Kyler that's, Murray. Yeah, that's, so, that's not bad. Um, yeah. So that's I think. Kyle, I think. I think Kyler, you gave Kyler Murray Deshaun's spot if he was playing right now. I, that's just my personal opinion. Yeah, I kind of felt yeah. that way too. I mean, Deshaun threw for forty eight hundred yards in twenty twenty. Uh, the team well, on the now, don't get me wrong. Oh, I don't know yeah. if I gave his spot to him or not because I didn't even mention Dak Prescott, who was blowing it up. Actually, you I know, didn't what? even mention him, and he's leading yeah. the league if I'm not mistaken, or second or something like that in yeah, offensive passing. So yeah. I mean, I can't necessarily say I gave away his spot. 
that's number that, five spot ought to be Dak Prescott. I that, feel that. Yeah. I respect that. Yeah, I got to respect that, too, because Dak has been balling. Like, Dallas, I know you're trying to temper your excitement, Rod. I know you don't want to get ahead of yourself. But we, I mean, we, what, six, seven weeks in now, like, the proof's kind of in the pudding. Like, Oh, but what can go wrong? <laughs> I know Stephen A. Smith is waiting on it. He's counting on it. And that's, what, and that's what Rod knows. <laughs> well, I mean, it could happen, but I'm not so sure because I think if it was for, time for it to go wrong, perfect opportunity for it to go wrong was this past Sunday oh, when no, they brother. played against New England. There perfect. were many opportunities yep. for it to okay. go wrong, and they I, were able to right the ship. And I think a lot of that does uh, stand in the fact that Mike McCarthy has a little more experience than Jason Garrett did uh, when he was the head coach. So just those two differences in coaching. Mike McCarthy coaches what I call situational football. Aaron Rodgers used to talk about it when they were on good terms with Mike McCartney up in Green Bay. He's a big-time situational football coach. Jason Garrett, he just says runs the play and you ought to get what you get and let's just have uh, practice. Let's clap clap it up. There you go. Clap it up. There you go. Different styles of coaching. So I think (laughs) there is an opportunity, but also – by week came at a great time because Dak has to stay healthy and he did get a little banged up against. Yeah, he got a strained calf. Uh, they're not sure if it's going to cost him a whole lot of time or anything. But Dallas, yeah, is he's in the boot. Yep. Yeah, Dallas is actually leading the league uh, yards per game at 460 yards per game uh, as a team. Uh, over on the defensive side, uh, Buffalo still number one, Cleveland's number two, Carolina's still number three, even though they've been giving away real estate. Like it's free. The past man, couple I don't weeks. understand, man. Uh, Dalvin Cook ran for 180, uh, 149 yards against yeah. the Panthers, and I, uh, man, Dalvin Cook, he tore it up, and I did not expect that. Not against that Panthers run defense. So well, Kirk, you know, I'm Kirk not Cousins sure exactly didn't play bad happened. either, though. No, he didn't. You know what it is, though. Honestly, it's, and I hate to put it on injuries, but the injuries that Carolina has, their best offensive player is out, Christian McCaffrey. And really their best defensive player, Shaq Thompson, is out. He's been out since that same Houston game. So they've both missed the past three games. And Shaq Thompson had been coming off of his probably his best game of his professional career in week two where, I mean, this dude was like Luke Luke Keekley 2.0. He was all over the place. He was in every hole, had an interception, had a sack, uh, had a bunch of quarterback hurries, a bunch of ta- – like he was everywhere. And then the very next week he hurts his foot – and he hasn't played since. And ever since he got put out of the lineup, the Carolina defense hasn't been as stout as it was those first three weeks when they were playing. And, uh, yeah, they've dropped rushing-wise. They were allowing less than, like, 60 yards a game the first couple of weeks. They've dropped all the way down to they're allowing uh, 111 yards per game now between uh, Dallas eating on them and then uh, last week with Minnesota, it kind of warped their uh, their rushing stats a bit. They're still – Number two in passing yards allowed per game, 196. Uh, only Buffalo is better. So, you know, go figure. Uh, Carolina's points per game average, those jumped up to 20 points per game. They were like at 13 or something a couple weeks back. So um, still good defensive numbers, and they're getting some guys back healthy. So we'll kind of see what happens with that uh, there. Um, I want to give Jalen a chance to talk about his Baltimore Ravens. Yeah, let's talk about it. They're not supposed to be this good, and they are. What the hell are they doing? Like what kind of voodoo they got going on in Baltimore? We don't do voodoo, brother. <laughs> it's it's no voodoo. We just play tough, hard nosed football. We play together, man. And that's one thing that I really saw from this past Sunday's dominant performance against the Chargers. It was just unbelievable the way we, even though we suffered more, uh, another injury to our starting middle linebacker Patrick oh, Queen, man. we did get Deshaun Elliott back. He ended up with an interception. 
he's great. He's what he's a great safety back there. He just really stabilizes things. He communicates well, gets everybody lined up. But Josh Bonds really came in. Special teams guy, been with the Ravens, been cut, been went to a couple places, went to Cincinnati, now is back in Baltimore. And he came in for Patrick Queen, man. And literally as soon as that happened, our defense was inflappable. It was unbelievable to see. It was Baltimore Ravens football. Calais Campbell playing great ball. Odefe Owe doing his thing, just getting causing all type of havoc in the backfield, causing all type of havoc with the quarterback. It was just great to see, man. Marlon Humphrey strapped Mike Williams up. He took that on as a personal responsibility. And, of course, Lamar played. He played well. Uh, the second pick was super fluke. It hit Bateman in the chest. And then the guy made a diving play. It was really a great play. And it, the game didn't matter. It, the game was over. It was the second to last drive of the game. You know, so, the, thing, the thing that separates a team like Baltimore from a team like Carolina right now, and you kind of echoed on it at the very beginning there, Baltimore knows who they are. Or, yeah. you know, they have an identity. Like, they're going to run the football. They're going to play tough defense. They stick to it. It doesn't matter. And we, got a, we got one of the best players in the league, if and not got one the greatest. Players in the league. Yeah. Like, that helps a whole lot. And uh, Carolina's this past couple of weeks, I think, especially with McCaffrey out, they didn't know who they were. And yeah. Joe Brady, bless his heart, is out here throwing the football or, or telling Sam Darnold to throw the football 40-plus times a game. And to the wrong team. It's, they're, not, they're not that kind of team. And Sam Darnold's not that kind of player. Like, Pat Mahomes can elevate a player. There's only a couple of quarterbacks that are actually that. Aaron Rodgers can elevate a player, make him look better. You know, if you play with Aaron Rodgers, you probably you're gonna look better than if you didn't. You know Sam who else Rodgers need to be on that list? Dak need to be on that list too. I yeah, actually, you know what? I would put Dak on that list. He makes players look better. Now, I I don't know if I can say that for like Tom Brady. Uh, it's not necessarily he makes players look better. He's That's just not, at a certain he had, level. Say, you know? yeah, okay. Yeah, and I feel like he brings everybody up to his level. Right. He's not going to make you better. He's just going to make you work harder. You know, that, that's kind of different. And I I said this on the Believe in Panthers podcast a couple of times over the past couple of weeks, but uh, Sam Darnold reminds me of Troy Aikman. And I say this, and I'm glad I'm, I got Rod on here, uh, a Cowboys fan, because when I first say it, people are like, what are you talking about? Troy Aikman's a Hall of Famer. He's got a gold jacket. Uh, you think of accuracy when you think of Troy Aikman. But go look at his stats. Like, go look at his stats and just look at him. He's like a, I think he's like a 59, 60% completion uh, quarterback. He never, he never threw for more than 23 touchdowns in any given season he played in. He never threw for more than 3,500 yards in any game he played or any season he played in. But Troy had everything around him he needed to be successful. He didn't have to do more than what he was to be fine. He had, the greatest rusher of all time behind him and Emmett Smith. He had Alvin Harper, the greatest offensive line blocking for him. Uh, and he, tight end. and he, he did do one thing that he was instructed to do by Jimmy Johnson, and he did it very well, and that was do not turn the ball over. Yep, don't turn the ball over. If Sam Darnold would stop turning the ball over, <laughs> I mean, look at the first three games he played. He looked like Troy Aikman. Pretty, about 270 yards, two touchdowns, no picks, played a clean game, probably threw it about maybe 25, 30 times. That's what that's what he needs to be. But if you start making him into Pat Mahomes where he's flinging it 45 times and Peyton there's Manning. no game, Peyton Manning, he's not that dude. He is not that dude. And I think maybe this past Sunday they kind of realized that because Matt Rule's doubled down on this whole, we're going to change our outlook, we're going to become more of a running team, blah, blah, blah. They can do it, and the Panthers actually block better running than they do passing for sure, because pass blocking, they are just straight trash. <laughs> they are dumpster juice when it comes to blocking uh, for passing. So that, that I don't know. I'm going to keep an eye on that throughout the rest of the season. 
because I've said it now and I, I believe it more and more as I watch him. I'm like, this dude reminds me of Troy Aikman. Like, and that's a compliment. I mean, Troy Aikman's a Hall of Famer. Sam Darnold's got it in him. He's 24. He's only played three seasons in the league. So it's not like he's damaged goods or anything. They're just, they're trying to make him to do more than what he actually can do or what he should be forced to do. So we'll kind of see where that leads. Um, let's go ahead and take another break. We'll be, we'll be back right after this. Franchise players here on Tobacco Road Sports Radio.com. In professional sports, a franchise player is an athlete who is not simply the best player on their team, but one that the team can build their franchise around for the foreseeable future. Welcome back in the franchise players here on Tobacco Road Sports Radio, your home for triad sports coverage. Desmond Johnson, just kicking it here with you as we get into another college football weekend uh, here in the ACC. Half the ACC Big Four, North Carolina and Duke, are on buys this week. Wake Forest and NC State are not. State coming off of a bye, and uh, those two fighting for the top of a division here in the ACC. Joining us uh, in this segment, Connor O'Neill from Deacons Illustrated. is going to be able to talk to us a little bit about Wake Forest. But first, I wanted to bring in Daniel Wilson from InsidePackSports.com. I've had folks telling me, hey, man, you talk all the time about Carolina and Wake and Duke, but you never spend any time on NC State. So I wanted to make sure that State was included, invited Daniel to come along for the panel, and he uh, graciously accepted it. Uh, what's going on, guys? How are y'all doing? I'm doing good. I'm good. Just came out of a basketball practice. Hey, it's that time of the year. And think about this, too. Man, remember last year? Remember last year when there was, like, no fans, there was nobody around? I mean, I don't want to, but if you make me, I'll, I'll remember it. <laughs> I, you know, it's funny because I was complaining, I think, uh, yesterday about how busy I was. And uh, I think my wife was in earshot. She was like, just remember what you were doing this time last year. And that, that shut me up really quickly. So <laughs> uh, let's start off with you, Daniel. Number 18, NC State's coming into the Saturday night matchup with uh, Miami fresh off of a bye. They have a defense that's only allowing 14.3 points per game. That's six in the entire country. What are the Wolfpack doing to play so well on defense, in your opinion? It honestly, it's a, uh, it's partly a shock, yet not at all. The shock is coming from you know they've lost uh, Peyton Wilson, arguably, in my opinion, best defensive player in the country, and also Cyrus Fagan, uh, cornerback that transferred in from Florida State, and yet everything is just business as usual, and it just. <laughs> It's it's really, it's weird. Like you'd think there'd be a bit of a drawback, but it's business as usual, and that's been the mo of Coach Dorn's uh, tenure so far. Defense has just been locked down solid, especially in the trenches. Now, on the other side of that, Daniel, uh, quarterback Devin Leary's having a great season. He's got fifteen hundred thirty-four yards passing, fifteen touchdowns, to only two interceptions in uh, I mean, excuse me, in NC State's first six games. Can you see Leary playing on Sundays down the road? And if so, what do you think is his biggest quality as a quarterback? Absolutely. He's got all the tools you're looking for. He's got great vision, uh, got good arm strength, and he knows how to remain poised and composed in the pocket. And, you know, he can get out of dodge if he needs to, but more often than not, he doesn't need to, especially with the line around him. But definitely, he's someone that I could see transitioning to the next level. The um, the Atlantic's pretty wild at the top there. Uh, Connor Wake Forest is six and zero. They're the last undefeated team in the ACC. 
They're ahead of NC State in the Atlantic Division. They face an Army team Saturday at 12 noon with their triple option offense. Can you explain in layman's terms to those that might not understand what exactly is a triple option offense and why is it so hard to prepare for? So the triple option, um, traditionally what people think of is the wishbone where you've got the quarterback takes the snap from under center and he's either going to do one of three things. He's going to hand it to a fullback up the middle or he's going to fake that and run to the outside and either turn up field uh, once he gets past the tackle, or he's going to pitch to a to a guy mirroring him in the backfield. Army is not as much of a wishbone triple option uh, that kind of like gimmick type of triple option team. They're more of they're going to run the ball down your throat. Some of their plays are not going to be options. Some of them are just going to be. Here is a 6'2, 265-pound fullback coming down the middle. You're gonna need to stop, you're gonna need to stop him on a third and two, um, or it's gonna be first down. Or if you stop him on third and two, guess what? We're we're probably going for it on fourth down with with him coming at you again or a quarterback run. Um Army is is very much you know, they've been that that triple option where they do have the the speed guys and the slot guys but they've kind of transitioned to more of power run and, and really just jamming it down your throats. And that's what they did against Wisconsin and almost won uh, in Camp Randall last week. At first I was going to say that maybe it's a good thing that, uh, you know, Wake's had some time to prepare for this, but I thought I saw that Clawson has a horrible record after bye week, like, like three and 12 or something nuts like that. So maybe it's uh, not a good thing that. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You're, not- you're- you're setting me up to like take the rest of our time right now. I'm just going to go on a, on a big rant right now. Uh, playing after an off week is not the advantage that the conventional wisdom would have you believe. Uh, now, Dave Clawson has been on average worse than even, you know, most coaches. I think if you, if you went coach by coach and looked it up, uh, their Wake Forest is three and nine if, They've got at least you know yeah. ten or ten or eleven days of rest. There's one game in there that they played on a Saturday and had a week off, and then they played a Thursday game. So it's you can't quantify that as they had two weeks before between games, but it was basically two weeks between games. Um, mm-hmm. But this season, teams playing after their off week are 22 and 27 across the country. It's, it's not this, you know, glorious, like, okay, we're going to get a week and we're going to get everybody healthy. It's not like a video game where you just magically get to wave a wand and your team gets healthy and gets better. It, it really, it's, it's a detriment more often than not. And it's a, it's a game where that first game after an off week, your team comes out a little slow. They have a tendency to start slower. They have a tendency to you know, the offense might not be in as good of a rhythm as they were bef- before the off week. And that certainly could be the case with Wake's offense. I mean, they were basically were doing whatever they wanted uh, offensively before the off week. So, yeah, it's, you know, it's something that Clawson's teams have struggled with uh, in the past, but it's also something that, you know, most teams struggle with coming off of off weeks. You know, that, that's a great point. I think a lot of teams, uh, would rather, you know, stay in the rhythm, uh, especially if they're playing well. You know, it's a different thing if you're banged up or you're in the middle of a losing streak or something like that. But if you're playing as well as these two teams have, maybe having this bye week when it happened might not necessarily be the best thing 
to happen to either uh, NC State or Wake Forest. Daniel Wilson from InsidePackSports.com and Connor O'Neill from Deacons Illustrated here with us talking a little ACC and college football. Now, uh, I've watched a little bit of Wake Forest over the past couple of weeks, and I've noticed they've been running or have been running for a while now. This kind of RPO type of offense, it's kind of like the basis of what they do now. Uh, and now with uh, backs in there like uh, Christian Beal Smith and with Sam Hartman having the type of season he's having, Wake has scored at least 35 points in all six of their games so far. They rank 12th nationally in scoring. What What's Hartman's ceiling, do you think, Connor? And can you see him playing on Sundays one day? You know, that's interesting. That's something that um, it's – it's something that you kind of you. I think you ask Daniel the question because you know it's NC State. They've got how many quarterbacks in the NFL right now can claim NC State? Yeah, Rivers, so Jacoby Brissett. Yeah, yeah, there's a few in there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and Wake has John Wolford, and other than John Wolford, who's the Rams' backup, oh, Wake yeah. has not been yeah. <laughs> the the quarterback factory, right? But hey, you're not giving Kendall Hinton enough credit. <laughs> Look, I, there, there is, there is not a bigger Kendall Hinton fan than me. Uh, best. Maybe, maybe best. outside of Kendall's family, but, but yeah, I, I do think, I do think Sam will get a fair shot at an NFL, uh, you know, making an NFL roster. I don't think he's going to be, you know, I, I don't think he's going to be drafted. If he is drafted, I think he would be a day three pick. Uh, there's just. He's height challenged, and unless you are Russell Wilson or Kyler Murray, that height is a pretty difficult thing to overcome in this in the eyes of the NFL scouts. But Sam Hartman is just as yeah, tall as John Wolford, and John Wolford started an NFL playoff game last year for the Rams. So I think he'll get his shot. I think <laughs> I think the story with Sam right now is still he's got to do it for a full season. And, and he has done it for a full season, right? Like he's – this is six games of any time he's made a little bit of a mistake, and he hasn't made a, that many mistakes this year, but the ones that he has, he's rebounded and turned in a bunch of positive plays after that. So that's the most encouraging thing. That's the thing that tells me that, okay, yeah, maybe this guy does have a pro mindset moving forward. Uh, he can make professional throws. Um that's I don't think that's as much of a question as some of the other things with Sam. And he's showing you that some of the other things are are there. The maturity is there, the the ability to bounce back from negative plays is there. So yeah, I think that's fair to to say he'll get a shot. Daniel, finish the sentence. NC State will beat Miami Saturday night if they keep uh, Dear King from returning, and I don't think he's coming back. Now, at this I don't point, think he's yeah. <laughs> like honestly, uh, on InsidePackSports.com, uh, I talked about how I thought NC State would do throughout the course of the year. I had uh, them losing to Mississippi State, beating Clemson, and losing to Miami, and uh, that was just because of what uh, King had to do. He had to carry the team on his back when they came uh, to Raleigh last year. And, you know, not, you know, one person doesn't make a team, but uh, with these teams kind of going tit for tat, it's going to be, uh, it's going to be really interesting offensive showing uh, for both teams. I just want to see how uh, the Wolfpack defense 
handles the Hurricanes. So I guess I can amend that saying uh, NC State will beat uh, Miami if the defense pulls it together. And then same question for uh, for you, Connor. Wake beats Army on Saturday if they... Uh, I would say if they stay in rhythm offensively, I think Wake's defense can do enough and get enough stops against Army's offense. Um, I think it's going to come down to whether Wake's offense can continue moving the ball at the same clip they were uh, pre-off week. I wanted to go out before I let you guys go. I always like to look at whoever's in the top four or five slots because they haven't done the actual official uh, poll for the the playoffs or whatnot. But so we're just still going off the AP polls and whatnot. Uh, right now, Cincinnati's ranked number two. That's the highest ranking the program's ever had. They face Navy on Saturday. Uh, are the Bearcats for real? Or are we just kind of all setting ourselves up to have uh, Alabama and Ohio State getting this top four again? Because even though Alabama lost two weeks ago, guess where they are? They're at number four, went up a spot due to uh, uh, Iowa losing uh, last week at home to Purdue. And it's almost like they always keep Alabama hovering around the top four. Like, no matter what, if they lose, they drop like two spots. Like, they're never going to be so far out of it that they can't climb back in it. And I fear that when this is all said and done, Alabama is still going to be in there uh, unless Georgia beats them in the SEC championship game or something like that that so do you, i guess my question is do you trust the current uh top four teams in the country to make it to the playoffs the, right now currently georgia's one since he's two oklahoma's three and alabama's fourth keep in mind ohio state is still lurking around and they are fifth i don't trust it because i think what we have on our hands is a is a year like 2007 where Ooh. i think we had like six six out of seven weeks that year that the number two team in the country lost like there were and there yeah. were some just doozies of of like West Virginia losing to an awful pit team, I think it was, and that was um, the Michigan App State year, wasn't it? Yeah, the year yep. App State went to Michigan. Yep, yep. They, I think Michigan was number um, five when that happened. So yeah, yeah. So I I think that this year is is going to have more upheaval in that top five and the top ten, and I think it's going to be a scrap heap when we get to. Uh, I think the I think the CFP games are December thirtieth. I mean, we'll know the matchups long in advance, but I, I yeah, think it'll be a scrappy yeah, like year. I think Georgia is the only team that yeah. I would put faith in being there at the end of the season. Yeah, exactly. I don't know. I Even like- Georgia, their offense doesn't seem like as good as you would think they should be as the number one team. Daniel, what are your thoughts? Do you trust this current top four? Uh, Georgia, Cincy, Bama, uh, Georgia, Cincy, Oklahoma, and Bama. Uh, is. Uh, uh, kind of echoing what uh, Connor was saying. Like, it feels like it's Georgia and everybody else. And uh, with the nature of everything, it feels like Alabama is just going to continue to be in that picture. It's a testament to not only what, you know, how much stock the AP voters put in that program, but also what Nick Saban's been doing. So it wouldn't surprise me if Bama rises its way back up to the top. I do appreciate what Cincinnati is doing, and I hope that they're able to maintain it. But, you know, one loss, <laughs> there goes their credibility, you know, sad but yeah. true. Uh, but if it that's ends kind, up being that was kind chaos, of my point with Bama. Bored. You know, they get one loss. And... <laughs> See, that's the thing that everyone tells me. They're all for the chaos, which makes me wonder why we have not <laughs> seriously pushed to get a 12-team, 16-team, 24-team playoff, because then you get 
matchups like Cincinnati versus Bama in the third round or, you know, stuff like that, that apparently people want to see. But I fear that if that ever happened, we would all be disappointed because a team like Bama would just run through everybody probably in that scenario. Um, but we would never know until it actually goes down. So hopefully they, they do decide to expand this out soon. And everyone keep an eye on Clemson. Clemson's still lurking around. They got a huge game against Pitt uh, this Saturday. And I haven't officially counted Clemson out of anything. Um, they're still, I mean, people are acting like they're, this is a down year and they're down and out. They're four and two. <laughs> you know, everybody, and one of those losses was to Georgia. So let's just kind of chill for a minute and see what happens here because Clemson's in that uh, that Atlantic division and they're three and one in the conference. They're only a game back of state and Wake Forest. So let's let's just wait and see what happens here. State's got to play Clemson. Wake's got to play a little bit later on as well. So some of the stuff's going to get settled on the field. Um, cover up if you if you enjoy NC State Wolfpack. Uh, sports or Wake Forest uh, sports. Go follow these guys online for sure. Uh, InsidePackSports.com, DeaconsIllustrated.com. Daniel, Connor, appreciate both you guys coming on, and uh, we'll definitely have you back, back both on soon. Thank you so much. Thanks, Des. Coming up, more from franchise players here on TobaccoRoadSportsRadio.com. <laughs> 